Hello, friends. Welcome to the ATC Double Cut. I am Micah Woods, and I am joined today by my good friend Bjarni Hennison from Iceland. He is the golf course manager at the G Moss Golf Club. Bjarni, can you give us the full pronunciation? Yeah, it's quite easy. It's uh, Golf Club Mosfellsbæjar. Uh, <laughs> rolls off the tongue. Mosfellsbæjar. Mosfellsbæjar. Yes. Moss Mountain Town. That's direct translation. Moss Mountain Town. Yeah. Moss Mountain. Yeah. Well, there is uh, Iceland uh, is does have a lot of moss that I saw on rocks. I believe yes. I I saw moss on rocks and not so many trees. Um, you have been at this club for just a couple months i believe the last yeah, year november. Yeah. november okay because yeah. we talked i think in september and you had been at nest golf club just finishing up there and you've yep. moved across the city yeah we are pretty much opposite end of Reykjavik. um so yeah takes 30 minutes to drive between them <laughs> which is unbelievably long in Icelandic. <laughs> yeah, don't get stuck Traveling in traffic. Um, <laughs> and um, people who haven't been to visit the golf courses in Iceland might not know that almost all the courses are close to the sea at a relatively low elevation. And because there's a shocking difference in temperature and the duration of time in which the ground is frozen and... Yeah consequently has a big effect on the growing season and the the length of the golfing season. I have not been to GMOS, um, but I presume it's some it's close to sea level. Is that right? Yeah, or is yeah, it up right. on a hill? Well well we have two we have two facilities, one eighteen holer and that's right down at the sea. Um, and uh, we uh, look to the north we see the Akranes, my hometown, so a little tear in the eye in the morning looking over the sea. <laughs> Um, but we also have a nine hole that is slightly more inland, but it's not high altitude wise, but it definitely affects when we can open the course. It usually opens a little bit later, uh, you know, a couple of weeks later in the, in, in the spring. So, and I think well, that's about 50, 50 meters above sea level, 40, 40, 50. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that just a 50 meter elevation change, you know, yeah. 160 feet or something, um, mm -hmm. has such how, how much of a difference in time would it be typically that before you could, where you'd open? Uh, course? Well, I, this is me based on feeling cause I haven't been here, but, uh, from the past, just knowing they usually open it, I think about 10 to two, 10 days to two weeks later. I think that's the norm. And, uh, it really does affect it sort of not being at the seafront because you get like when you get really, really cold in the winter, because we have the Gulf stream, uh, and the ocean is slightly warmer here. So it really matters that you're close to the ocean, just moving, you know, if you move a mile inland, it, you can have a drop in temperature for a few degrees. Um, I mean, Ness Golf Clubs, where I was before, for example, is 360 degrees, well, 300, 355 degrees, <laughs> surrounded mm -hmm. by ocean. And uh, we were often seeing four degree temperature change from that golf course to a golf course, you know, further, not inland, but just not surrounded by sea, you know, only 180 degrees. Yeah. And when, uh, and when the temperature is so close to freezing, so we're talking about uh, cent. Celsius degrees centigrade. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. So 
um, you know, zero degrees would be 32 degrees Fahrenheit or freezing. And when we're talking about a difference of four degrees, that would be something like going from 32 to 40 Fahrenheit or something. Um, but when, when you're temp, yeah. when you're in Iceland and your temperatures are often around freezing, then when you have slight differences of just a few degrees, that yeah. has a huge effect on the grass. And that's exactly what I wanted to talk with you about today. Uh, the last episode of the ATC double cut, I introduced, uh, a very gentle introduction to the temperature-based turf grass growth potential. And I did that without any equations and without too many numbers. And I just tried to explain how it works. And I thought, wouldn't it be great? I'm, I'm now sweating in my office with my fan turned off to minimize background noise uh, or hum humming. There, there's plenty of other noise outside, but at least I'm not going to have a fan going. I'm seven degrees north of the equator. It's well over 30 degrees outside. It's a bright sunny day in the dry season in Thailand. And you are about, uh, well, you're pretty far north. You're how many degrees? 64. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> so just two degrees short of reaching the, uh, the Arctic Circle, which uh, the Arctic Circle means that you will have one day where the sun just doesn't go below the horizon. <laughs> that's how far well, north we are and yeah and we are we are at about five degrees outside which is slightly warmer than it has been and we have wind speeds close to 60 miles per hour right now i hope oh. hope the uh, shed stays here and <laughs> wow yeah i hope you're blazing fast internet speed um it's good yeah, that's good <laughs> so um so i thought it would be perfect to continue talking about the temperature-based growth potential, because I'm at a location that's purely tropical. The this is this is like a tropical rainforest or a tropical savanna type of climate. I'm just seven degrees north of the equator. The temperature doesn't fluctuate very much during the year. The day length doesn't fluctuate here by more than about uh, 50 minutes uh, wow. per. Yeah, you'll get 50 minutes in about a week difference in day length um yeah, at, at some yeah. times of the year and i get for the entire year the i mean the the day ranges between like 11.6 hours and 12.4 hours in duration or some something like that there's not a big difference and yet we can apply the temperature-based turf grass growth potential or gp as it's called we can apply that here in thailand we could mm -hmm. apply it where you are at the other extreme and we can apply it i would say everywhere in between and we can also apply it south of the equator in the southern hemisphere as well and i have a blog post that i wrote in 2015 which i will bring up onto the screen and that blog post i wrote in june of 2015 it's called what it's called which affects growth more light or temperature and it followed a visit that i'd made to iceland and if you recall that year that was that was my second trip to iceland and it was a time when i was there in the springtime in may uh and it maybe late april and until about mid-may something mm -hmm. like that and it yep. was a particularly cold spring but yeah. i brought my quantum meter my photosynthetic photon flux density meter with me so i was measuring light 
and I was checking the temperature and I was observing turf conditions. And to me, this was a very good illustration of what a controlling effect the temperature can have on actual growth, on reality. So I wanted to kind of talk through this with you and we can go on various tangents from this because eventually, I don't know if we'll do it today, but eventually in some ATC double cut, I'm going to talk about the link between growth and nitrogen. But first we have the growth potential that I, because we don't really know the growth in advance, but we can sort of predict what the growth potential would be in advance. So we can use the growth potential as a proxy for growth and, and we can do some tricks that are quite simple to let us get an estimate of nitrogen application rate from that. Yep. So, uh, which, which golf course is this? This one is, this is Brauterholt. Uh, yes. Brauterholt. Uh, looking there right into Reykjavik city in the background. Uh, this is a fantastic golf course, by the way, this is a bucket list golf course you have to play. <laughs> it's mind blowingly great. Yeah. That, you know, you can have pictures of, of a golf course that make it look stunning, but then when you're actually there, sometimes the pictures just don't quite do it justice. And this one, I think, are the fairways there all mown with the robotic mowers now? Yeah, nowadays they mow all fairways are robotics. Uh, they're going through construction at the moment and that will be uh, grown in with robots as well. So they're being quite green. They got electric green mowers as well so they um yeah i think like 90 percent of their mowing is done more than that it's done uh through electricity and electricity here in iceland is one thing we have a abundance of and and it's the, it's considered zero emissions there because it's geothermal or hydroelectric yeah. isn't it it's all is sustainable it? every new world yeah uh, both you know hydro or or uh, geothermal electricity so Excellent. And then <laughs> that's, that's very good. That's the key. But not, not everything, not everything in Iceland is cheap, but the electricity and hot water are. <laughs> yes. That's the only two things. If you switch this into beer prices, you get, you get a mild shock, especially for you. <laughs> so, um, I, I noted in this blog post, which I'm going to put a direct link to in the show notes, I said the turf was not growing and did not require mowing. And this is in early to mid-May of 2015. And I'm showing pictures of different golf courses in Iceland in which the turf was not growing and did not require mowing. I believe that you'll recognize the this next course, which is in your hometown of... This is, this is where I started my greenkeeping career back in 95. So yeah, yeah, it's my home. Spent a lot of hours on this turf. <laughs> but notice how the golf course is open. And you'll talk about the temperatures that are uh, going there. That's around two to three degrees, right? Mm -hmm. I think we were... It's a, it, when you were here, it's, it's common that we have very cold May and sunny May as well, because we get northerly wind, wind blowing basically from the North Pole coming down. Mm -hmm. So you've got the ocean water that's warm, yeah. relatively warm because of the Gulf Stream, but the winds yeah. are blowing this bitterly cold. cold. Yeah, and that is very common. And then we usually open the golf courses there around uh, beginning of May. 
sometimes late April. Uh, but you can go through days like you saw, you know, days after days where it's just, you know, grass doesn't really grow uh, at all. And that's what I saw. I, I, um, I was just staying there week after week. I stayed there for about a month mm -hmm. and I brought my PPFD meter, my, my field scout quantum meter. And I was measuring the photosynthetically active radiation with that. And the days were long. In May, the sun was coming up uh, sometime between 4 and 5 a.m. And the sun was setting between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. And so I actually measured, and I, I've got this in the blog post, on sunny days, the PPFD, which is the instantaneous photosynthetically active radiation in moles of photons per square meter per second it was above a thousand and a thousand is the light saturation point for c3 grasses it was above a thousand from about 9 30 a.m all the way until 5 30 p.m yep. so there were eight hours a day in when i was there that may there were eight hours per day eight consecutive hours and as you see, there's not a lot of trees <laughs> there. No. If you're if you're listening to this, just take our word for it. These are wind-swept, <laughs> grassy, open areas with big mountains from which the wind can uh, come sweeping down. Um, but that's eight hours a day, consecutive hours with PPFD at the light saturation point, meaning the grass can't use anymore. And the average, um, what was the average? The average. The average on those sunny days for the daily light integral, when you add that all together, it was 53 moles per meter squared per day, which mm -hmm. is a substantial amount of light. And certainly you wouldn't say that light for cool season grass is limiting at all if your DLI is 53 moles. No, that and, is absolutely not limiting any. <laughs> right. So, so it's, it's interesting because I thought, okay, I didn't really know because I hadn't checked it before until I went there. You, you, could, you could check this and calculate it, but I hadn't. So I went there with my meter and measured it. And I mean, I didn't know because it was 64 degrees north of the equator. So I didn't know like just how bright the sun would be or, or not bright in terms of how much photosynthetically active radiation it was providing. And it turned out it was providing plenty of photosynthetically active radiation. And when this is at Kaleer Golf Club, mm -hmm. and I note that the light was pretty good, but the grass wasn't growing at all, and it was, I mean, it it was just completely dormant, and it was only, you know, five weeks away from the longest day of the year. Yeah. And so um, we were maxing out pretty much, well, not quite maxing out, but close to a maximum for photosynthetic photon flux density, certainly more than cool season grass could use. There was extra light that was going unused and evapotranspiration was happening too. So if you think that, um, if you think it's just the water use of the grass that drives the growth, well, the grass still wasn't growing even though it was using water. So the evapotranspiration was about 1.5 millimeters per day, which is uh, about 1 16th of an inch. And irrigation was being applied to prevent wilting, but the grass really only turned green where black sand had been applied. It wasn't, it wasn't growing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this is a. You can see on this screen it was a bit greener than the others. That's not nothing to do with the irrigation that's being applied there. It's just that green was heavily top dressed before um, frost events. We sometimes do sometimes do that to protect it. And our top dressing sand is always black here, uh, and that helps. Uh, you know, we we generally measure around about between two to three degrees uh, increased temperature in the canopy with the black sand applied. And those two, three degrees actually make quite a lot of difference. It sounds like it doesn't make a lot of difference, but when you're dealing with temperatures that low, then every sort of degree is uh, is quite important. Uh, yes. Yeah, which I saw also because there were a couple skips uh, on one of the grains where I'd seen where um, where the the black sand top dressing had been applied and where there was gaps between the top dressing, uh, between the spreader uh, mm -hmm. treatments uh, or the sand treatments, the grass was not nearly as green. So it almost, it looked like it had a fertiliz fertilizing effect. Yeah. Yeah, it's and, surprising how big the difference is. Because, <laughs> like I say, it's only two to three degrees and it's just it's amazing. So what what I hope people will get from this conversation is where I'm trying to make a case that temperature in this extreme situation has an almost completely controlling effect on whether the grass was growing or not. Uh, certainly what the above ground growth was. So I wrote in the blog post, I said, what is going on with irrigation being supplied and photosynthetically active radiation reaching the turf in large amounts but the grass not growing at all. The reason for that was the temperature, which was too cold for grass growth. And I then I have a chart that I show the average daily temperature from April 28th until May 11th of 2015. And the average daily temperature never exceeded three degrees Celsius. Um, <laughs> which if you calculate the the growth potential for cool season grass, you're going to get a value of something like 0 0.05 or something. It's going to be a quite, quite a low yeah. growth potential, maybe, yes. maybe even lower. Yeah. And now that's certainly what was going on. There was not a lot of growth thing in place. So, yeah. So it just, <laughs> and, and on May, May 5th, the average temperature was zero. Uh, May 7th, the average temperature was zero. It, this is Celsius, so uh, that means the average 32. temperature was 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And on May 8th, <laughs> which didn't help anything, the average temperature was below freezing, minus one. <laughs> so um, in that case, that's what was going on. The temperature was completely limiting growth. And what the growth potential is, is simply a way where we take the temperature and instead of using a number like minus one, or four or five to represent temperature, we run it through the growth potential equation, which I've described as a utility function, and it converts that number into a number between zero and one, or if you then multiply it by 100, you have it in percentage units, and you've converted the temperature then to a number between 0% and 100%. And what if it's 100%, it means the temperature is the same as the, optimum as the optimum temperature for growth. And if the temperature is 
I'm sorry, if the growth potential is zero or close to zero, it means your actual temperature is very far from the optimum temperature for growth. Mm-hmm. And, oh, the next chart shows the actual <laughs> growth potential. No, it's not even that high, Bjarni. It's, uh, well, <laughs> we were off by more than tenfold, right? Yeah. Well, that, well, that's something we we're talking about. I, yeah. I, I think there's a way to improve this, uh, the low temperature performance of the growth potential equations, um, mm-hmm. which I've kind of stumbled across. Um, and so at, at moderate to optimum temperatures, the growth potential number is identical, basically, as with the current equation, but there's an adjustment that we can make to the to the way that the growth potential is calculated that may give it better performance at low temperatures. But right now, um, the highest growth potential we got was 0.02. <laughs> so two, that, that is 2%. And at 2%, basically, the grass is not growing. No. <laughs> so... It's safe to say, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I concluded this pose, post by saying this controlling effect of temperature on the ability of grass to grow is one of the reasons I find the GP so useful. And um, I'm gonna queue up in case we want to talk about nitrogen a little bit more. Uh, I've got a post here that may have a link to my slides and handout, if those are even still live. Uh, I'm not going to bring those up on the screen right now, but I've got it queued up just just in case we, we might want to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, so that, that was like blasting through a blog post, talking about pictures. For anybody listening, uh, I hope that you could kind of follow along what we were describing but it's if you can imagine 64 degrees north of the equator dormant cool season grass snow covered mountains in the background do check out the post because they are beautiful golf courses <laughs> um, oh yeah they're amazing but, the scenes they're amazing so just you know if your golf is bad then at least you can enjoy the views <laughs> yeah so but it's a challenging environment when you've got golfers wanting to play and you've got the uh, growth potential at basically at zero. And so the growth potential matches the way the grasses grow, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And so in the summertime, you'll have temperatures in the Reykjavik area on the golf courses that might be tw- average temperatures of 12, 13, 14. Is that about right? Yeah, I think we average through um, July, August, there are warmest months, and they uh, average yeah, r- roughly about 12 degrees at 11.8 or something, with, um, with the average warm at about 14. Um, uh, so, and we really do, you really do notice, like every degree, you, you feel, you definitely feel it, that that's, uh, you know, at that end. I think you feel it way more than if you're averaging at 16, 18, 20, you know what I mean? You know, it's just uh, oh, every so degree you, at nine, you know, you feel it when you're nine and then 10, you know, oh, 10, we're getting, you know, there's definitely oh, yeah. a change. So, so you, you feel like, oh, wow, it's really warmer than it was yesterday. Yeah. And you, I, I, always when we get days where we hit average above 12 degrees, you know, of 24 hours of more than 12 degrees, then you really see how the turf just, Denses up way better and just makes things a lot easier. And then you drop down below 11, 
it's not a lot of change, you know, maybe two degrees, but then you see, oh, okay, okay, we need to, you know, it just starts getting a little bit more tricky to keep a dense surfaces under that high play conditions that we have, because we have a lot of golf. So that's why we, I, I guess, you know, managing turf in Iceland, we pay a lot of attention to every degree we get. <laughs> Very thankful and, <laughs> and appreciate it. And one way to pay attention to that is to look at the growth potential, yeah. which um, when I went there in 2013 and gave a seminar, we talked about growth potential. And I know you already were using it or were aware of growth potential. It, that's not something I introduced to you in 2013. No. And I think, I've, yeah, no, I had seen it and been sort of, but obviously I hadn't used it a lot. I was just sort of starting to use it and seeing seeing how it made sense to me or not. And um, uh, yeah, and it made a lot of sense to me. You know, you look at it uh, uh, and you're seeing how you, 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 you sort of, you had a number now that what I was thinking in my head sort of start making sense according to those numbers and it starts sort of linking up. But, you know, um, but like we probably talked about before is that you still have to use your eyes, <laughs> but, but it's good to have that number to sort of make, make things make sense because sometimes you're looking out there and you're thinking, okay, you know what, I would like to see more growth or whatever. And then you start looking at the numbers and you're like, oh, well, no, actually it makes sense that things are a little bit slow at the moment. So, yeah, you can't uh, you can't force things when the temperatures don't allow it. Yeah, because exactly. it the grass just is not going to make use um, of of that as as much as it could. It gives a bit of peace of mind too, because sometimes you're thinking, okay, because you have these sunny sunny days, and you think, oh, there, you know, these have been a beautiful day, but the temperatures haven't been great, or the nighttime temperatures have been quite cold. And it sort of gives you a little bit of peace of mind when you're sometimes, because in the past often you were thinking, oh, why, why are things not picking up a little bit? And then, because you hadn't been following or tracking the temperatures so accurately as we do now. Mm -hmm. But now when you see it, you think, okay, well, the growth potential is actually just 7%. <laughs> yeah, <Calm> I, <laughs> I, I like the growth potential because you can run, uh, you can run the temperatures through that equation and you can then generate a growth potential curve for any location for the entire year. And yeah. what we tend to learn in American uh, turf school, in, in, in the classic textbooks, it will show that cool season grass has a bimodal growth where it has a peak of growth in the spring, a dip of growth in the summer, and then a, uh, another burst of growth and a peak of growth in the autumn. And, you know, that's, that's not how grass grows in, in Iceland at all. And, and if you run the temperatures in Iceland through that growth potential equation and plot it, you will see that you get the type of growth curve. Now it's, it's just, it's abstract. It's just a chart, but it's a chart that has the curve that matches the way you would expect and yeah. the way that grass actually does grow, where you have a peak of growth at the warmest months of the year. Mm -hmm. That's because our growth doesn't go above the top temperatures. Because you, you would get that binaural growth curve where you have average temperatures exceeding 20 degrees in That's the right. summer. Right. So if, if you do that in Washington, D.C., for example, 
which is a challenging place to grow cool season grass, or you run that growth curve for Augusta, Georgia, where the greens are creeping bent grass, um, you get a huge dip in the summer. And in fact, at a place like Augusta, Georgia, if you run the growth potential, it will dip down to about 0.2 uh, in the middle of summer because the temperatures are so much above the optimum. Now, uh, now we'll get into, we've had, I had an entire episode last week about uh, very basic stuff about growth potential. And we've just talked for the, for the conversation so far about very basic stuff. Now, now we're going to start talking about all the uh, complications of growth potential because here's what I'm going to say. If, if you check your clipping volume in Augusta, Georgia, or check your clipping volume in Washington, DC, in these places where you, uh, you get a very low growth potential in the summer because the temperatures are so much above the optimum, uh, the grass doesn't, that's not how the grass grows. The grass grows more, the hotter it gets. So you'll still get that peak in Mm -hmm. actual growth. Now I'm talking about clipping volume uh so when you actually measure it the grass just grows more and more but it's dying um (laughs) it's it's in the process of dying by growing too much which is why um which is why eventually when you go to miami you don't have cool season grass anymore because if you have a long enough duration of time at those supra optimal temperatures at the temperatures that are way too high for cool season grass to grow well where the growth potential curve dips way down if if you have that for two or three months like you do in washington dc or augusta georgia with very good management with very careful management you can keep the grass alive but if you start extending that to a six month or seven month or eight month duration the grass grows and it just burns itself out. It uses up all the carbohydrates because it, every day it's using more carbohydrates than it is um, storing through producing through photosynthesis. So the and that's I mean that's a good thing to say. Okay, growth potential is not reality, but if you understand these uh, exceptions of like here's where growth potential is useful, and then here's where growth potential now it's acting more like a stress index if you if you go to augusta georgia and look at growth potential in august it's going to be about 0.2 or 0.3 it doesn't mean the grass is going to grow at 20 percent of the maximum rate uh, but it means that's a an extreme stress index so that's that's a common question that i have and and uh but i would say that when your grass is under tremendous stress and when it's dying a little bit every day, because every day it's losing more carbohydrates than it's than it's making, I think that it makes sense to apply less nitrogen fertilizer at that time. Because if you apply more nitrogen fertilizer, you're going to be stimulating growth, cutting off more of the carbohydrates, and I would say probably killing the grass faster. So that's where... Um, so I, I'm afraid we're going to lose some of the listeners or, or some of the watchers by by me talking about or talking with you about some of these things that uh related to growth potential if people haven't used it before for no. nitrogen planning but mm-hmm. um 
if you've got questions, I've written about this a lot on my website. And also, I'll, I'll uh, mention that the growth potential was developed by the scientists at Pace Turf, of which I'm now the director of the Pace Turf Information Service. But you can find information about growth potential on the ATC website, also at the Pace Turf website. Um, and I know a lot of you listening or watching will have, uh, have some experience using growth potential. And I know, Bjarni, you've used it. And um, I guess we would just say that if the temperature is really controlling what grows, then as the grass is growing, you're mowing off the leaves. So as you're mowing off the leaves, you're taking away nitrogen. And so it makes sense to resupply the nitrogen somewhat in proportion to how it's being taken away, assuming that you just want a consistent amount of uh, a flux of nitrogen going through the plant and then going into the plant, being in the plant, and then being harvested from the plant through mowing. Mm-hmm. And so if if the grass doesn't grow when the temperature is zero and the grass grows at a maximum rate when the temperatures are the highest, then by converting the temperature to a growth potential that's on a scale from zero to one, it allows you to take your annual nitrogen rate or your monthly and uh, nitrogen rate or your weekly nitrogen rate and allocate it over whatever time period you want and have it be adjusted based on the probable growth of the grass based on this very simple but useful function. Yeah. I I use that quite a bit, but um, I don't know how technical we want to go into these things, but... (laughs) Yeah, we, let's let's mod- go. We modify it a little bit uh, up here. <laughs> yeah. So, right. So, um, let. Uh, how about? Because if somebody's hearing this for the first time, then that might be kind of. I don't know if if somebody's hearing it for the first time. I think they might understand it well. If you could explain it also, so explain the standard thing that I just explained in your own words, if you would. And then let's start talking about how we actually have to use it to get good results. Because I've always said that if you use growth potential by like just in a very standard way, you'll guarantee that you'll get mediocre conditions. But a lot of times we want to get better than mediocre conditions. So could you try to explain just the standard thing that I did? And then then we'll start talking about how we do it differently. Uh, yeah, I think I think you hit a pretty important note there about using GPS as a stress indicator. I think that's a really good way to view it and not get too hung up on the whole uh, thing of GP growth potential. But because uh, uh, it makes perfect sense. When grasses are growing slowly, you don't need to feed them a lot. Because I always think about grass, this is the way how I think about grass, is that grasses, uh, uh, they build themselves in the same way over and over again, right? Uh, and if they're doing it slowly, and if I supply you, okay, I always use the, because I'm from uh, the, the Nordics, I always just talk about Ikea in this relationship. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you get a billy shelf, for example, and you're, if you're giving a billy shelf and you're pretty slow putting them together, it doesn't help if, if Jonas brings in another Ikea, you know, billy shelf. If you're doing it slowly, it's not going to, you know what I mean? But if you're in a good shape and you start building them quicker, then it's okay if Jonas brings all the billy shelves to you okay. <laughs> at a rapid pace. So, 
we've lost a lot of people right now. But uh, <laughs> so it makes sense to me is that you bring the nitrogen coming in based on how quickly the grass is growing. So once it starts growing a little bit quicker, it needs that nitrogen to be able to to grow in a healthy way. So that's why I like looking at the growth potential and seeing the temperature and temperature being such a big influence of what we can't control. Obviously, water changes things and, and sunlight, and we can, but we can sometimes affect that, um, especially water. If you've got a good change, so you can affect the sunlight a little bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's why I think growth potential is an excellent way of, of helping you making decisions. But I think the key thing about growth potential is to still use your eyes and see what's going on in your field. And you, I, I think a good idea is to not start using growth potential as a way of fertilizing for the first one or two years you're looking at growth potential. And the reason being is that you sometimes have to adjust your growth potential to your site. And I think here in the cold, I hope I'm not going too far ahead here, but here in the no, cold, the way I perfect. used it, the, what we have found, but mind you, we have, a, have um, conditions here that are low temperatures, for a period of time where you have a, a lot of golf because of long sun hours, because you know we're, you know people can golf in May pretty much 24 hours, so we can sometimes see 300 to 400 rounds a day with almost no growth. And usually, what we find is that we need to sort of uh, uh, we need to double the amount of nitrogen in the beginning of the season, and once we hit the temperatures of around. 10 and above, so maybe 10 to 12 degrees, then we can sink nicely into growth potential uh, and feed according to that. And I found over multiple seasons now, I've, I started using this in, what, 10 years ago. I'm just realizing it's 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. It feels like it just started. <laughs> but yeah, for the 10 years, that is what I have found, is that... so. Um, so how I would use it is basically that in, in May, according to growth potential, um, we should only be using, you know, uh, 5K of nitrogen per hectare, something like that. But I need to be more like in the 10, 11 degree, you know, K of nitrogen, which is not a lot of nitrogen, but, you know, it's still more than what the growth potential would tell me to do. Um, and, but what I found by sort of observing and monitoring the growth potential and see what my, my condi conditions on the turf is, is that I often think my turf is in a good shape. I look at the predicted growth potential and I think, oh, I'm not going to spray today. I'm going to leave it for two days, you know, maybe over the weekend. And it always bites me in the butt. Because <laughs> if the growth potential is forecasting, we're going to run out. And it, it always does. does. <laughs> yes. Well, th yeah, that's, that's interesting. Uh, so... Uh, but 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 that's based on my experience and using it for a number of years and, and fertilizing according to it. It, 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 it. It's been an excellent tool for me to predict when to apply nitrogen, even though I think my turf is in a good shape. Uh, because obviously I don't run it very high on nitrogen. We try to keep them a bit on the lean side. That's what I was going to ask you. Uh, yeah. Annually, what type of annual nitrogen rate would you be putting on uh, different surfaces? We, commonly around 70 to 100 K of nitrogen per hectare. Um, so that would be about 
close to about 1.6 to uh, 2 pounds per thousand, right? Exactly. About that. Ex yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very good conversion there. So, <laughs> and so that's again, in, a, in a very cold place, but that's about what the... Uh, I think it's when cold I run, place, but high play. You know right, what I mean? so and I think it, when I run the equation, if I had a, a lawn, for let's say a lawn, and I didn't have a lot of traffic on it, obviously we wouldn't be feeding it at that rate. We'd be feeding it, at, you know, twenty, thirty k of nitrogen, something like that. Yeah. But but then again, also here's another thing that affects our nitrogen is also because we have slower uh, microbial activity in soils. Breakdown of uh, nutrients is obviously slower in these temperatures, so we have less help coming out of, you know, yeah, the ground. You, you've got, because we did some soil testing um, at your previous facility and yeah. at, at where you were working, and the I was surprised that the soil organic matter was, now we're talking, we're not talking about the OM246, um, yeah. we're talking here about actually the, um, the, the humus, the soil organic matter by definition. That was, I think, something like 3%. Uh, maybe Ooh. even 3.4%, which on golf course putting greens, that is well above average. The average on a sand-based putting green that I measure in, in the United States, in Japan, places that's relatively warm, uh, the average is about 1.5%, 1.6%. That would be mm. typical for soil yeah. organic matter. And you were about double that, and yet it makes sense because the soil temperatures are so cold there that the grass does grow and it does create organic material in the soil and create mm -hmm. organic matter in the soil, but it uh, it can't break right. down as fast. Yeah, and I've seen, because fescues can create quite a bit of thatch, and I've seen fescue greens here that have been overfed, and they, the amount of thatch they produced in, a, in only five, six years was shocking to me. <laughs> Which is <laughs> because another... Because they were being broken down so slowly. Which so is another reason. If you would be at a higher temperature, uh, then you would have more microbial activity bringing that down. But uh, so yeah, yeah, you can have a big thatch problem in a cold place. That surprised me because I saw uh, you described to me the thatch problem, and I saw some sod, some fine fescue sod, that was basically just uh, pure thatch. Mm -hmm. there, there wasn't really much soil on it. It was just a, a thatchy sod that was being delivered. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, it'll take a while to work, work through that. Yeah. And I hadn't thought that in such a cool place, the, the the grass could grow so much to create so much thatch, but it happens. And that's what where I think the growth potential can also be useful of just saying, look, compared to other places in the world, that's another thing growth potential can be used for. You can calculate growth potential for St. Andrews, Scotland. You can calculate it for Reykjavik. You can calculate it for London. You can calculate it for Prague. You can calculate it for Rome and for Casablanca and for Honolulu. And you can start to see a comparison of what the curves are, what the number of days uh, if you add together the growth potential day by day, you get the number of days of good growth and so on. And, uh, you can start to make comparisons. So if you know that in London, they get excellent results with, let's say, 150 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, and you know that you're in Reykjavik, which is considerably cooler and has much less growth potential through the year, and you're also applying 150 kilograms, then you can start, you can just 
instantly compare and say, whoa, I'm I'm applying at relatively a much higher rate, even though the yeah. actual rates are identical, but yeah. you've just adjusted for uh, the difference in climate now or the difference in, in uh, weather. Yep. And so um, you can avoid, so if you know that the rate of nitrogen that does not create thatch in London is 90 kilograms per hectare, and you know that uh, if you apply five millimeters of sand in London, as five millimeters of sand is top dressing, and you apply 90 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, uh, which is one point, uh, uh, about 1.85 pounds of nitrogen per thousand mm -hmm. square feet. Uh, if you apply those rates in London and you don't get thatch, then you, you can then translate that to your location, but now you can just adjust it by the difference in growth potential. So let's mm -hmm. say your growth potential is uh, 70% of what London is, mm -hmm. then you can multiply those numbers by 70%. And now you know, okay, we're like 3.4%, uh, sorry, 3.4 millimeters of top dressing would be our, our expected amount. And our mm -hmm. nitrogen should be about, you know, 60. And, yep. and then, but then because you have the extra traffic, then you, you say, okay, well, we need to bump up our, our nitrogen because you cannot, you cannot get great results. You can't get optimal results by just doing, by plugging these numbers into a spreadsheet, letting the calculation get made, and then just doing that. You'll keep the grass alive. You'll get okay conditions, but they won't be optimized for your site. If, no, especially, I mean, here, if I would have just done that blindly, I would have very bad greens. <laughs> but by looking at this, and I remember, I think earlier, maybe maybe 2015 when you were here, um, we were talking about, for example, setting the base temperature in the, in the growth potential lower for Icelandic conditions. If I'm going too tech, but go, the, the be, base temperature go. is set at, it's, it's at 20 degrees. Uh, mm -hmm. In the original module, uh, the uh, formula, but we use 18 as a max temperature. On the uh, the argument being that our grass never sees 18 degrees <laughs> or 20, <Yeah. laughs> and it sometimes grass is sort of slightly adjusted to what's going on in nature around them. Yeah, so, so there's no doubt that something like creeping bent grass uh, is more like a warm season grass compared to like fine fescue or. Um, Poa annua. So if you yeah. look, uh, if you look at where these grasses grow in the world, how these grasses grow around the world, grow in the wild, um, not every cool season grass has the same optimum temperature. Not every warm season grass has the same optimum growth temperature. I think for the most part, it makes sense to keep things uh, standard so that you don't inadvertently like try to make a comparison between London and Reykjavik and you're using two different equations because then it's mm -hmm. then you don't really know yeah, yeah. what you're comparing but exactly. in the case where it's practical to do so i have no reservations about adjusting the optimum temperature down to like 18 degrees which is mm -hmm. in fahrenheit that's like adjusting it down from 68 degrees as an optimum temperature for cool season grass down to something like 65 degrees Ooh, yeah something like that or yep. 64 or something yeah. like that so, yeah, the, the, so I'm going to, I'm going to find another post sometime and talk about this in, uh, like just from the very start, just go all through the nitrogen bit, 
But mm -hmm. maybe, let me see, if I show, I'm going to bring up on my screen again, the post that I made uh, after that seminar that we did in 2013. And I called it a method for estimating turfgrass nutrient requirements. So this, this was 2013. It was 10 years ago. Um, maybe I've also updated the way that I would do things. But mm -hmm. I've got some pictures. This is in September, so I'm showing pictures of yep. the Kaler Golf Club, but now the grass is green because uh, it was the end of summer. <laughs> what did I, yeah, I gave five steps. That's how I explained it then. I said, I said the elemental content of fertilized turf grass leaves is relatively constant. Mm -hmm. Well, or, or that's how we would like it to be. We don't really want there's an, there's no reason to want the nutrient content of leaves to fluctuate with yep. time. I said the um, the amount of nitrogen used by the grass controls growth and uptake of the other nutrients. Um, that is correct and supported by research. Yeah. I said a temperature-based growth potential can predict how much nitrogen the grass can use, and that's what we've tried to explain without ever showing the equation, without showing any charts, just by saying, if I'm in Thailand right now, we're not, the growth is not limited by temperature for warm season grass. If, if you're using grass that's adapted to your location, then uh, if, if I'm using grass that's adapted to grow in tropical Thailand, it's not limited by temperature right now. But your grass right now in Iceland is not growing. You said the temperature was... Uh, it's about, it's about five degrees outside. But now, it's now you that, might be that, limited I mean, by we, light too. <laughs> yeah, now we're limited by light because we only have about six, seven hours of light right now. So, yeah. By the way, in May we we were up to about seventeen when you were here, beginning of May. That's seventeen of, of uh, sunlight, seventeen hours. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Did we have? We don't go fully dark then, do we? Well, it it was it, it was. It was like twilight for me when I would go yeah. after sunset or before sunrise. Um, it it was not pitch dark outside. A, a nautical twilight, is it called, not, I think. Yeah, that would be the correct term. Um, yeah. So, um, and then I, then I talked about MLSN, and then I said if we integrate all of these previous points... Um, we can find a minimum nutrient requirement. And by that, I was meaning once we set our nitrogen rate, um, the minimum nutrient requirement for potassium and phosphorus and calcium and so on could be determined. And I yeah, I don't think, I don't think I need to show the slides in the handout, but uh, I'll put a link to this post for anybody uh, who wants to link through to see what Bjarni and I talked about when I gave that seminar in Iceland 10 years ago. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the next, the next time that I do an ATC double cut and talk about the growth potential idea, I'm going to show charts and show some numbers and show how I actually work through it. Um, mm -hmm. But what we've been trying to do is just make it intuitive so it just makes sense. Because 
Like I want people to understand when the, when the grass is not growing, adding fertilizer is pointless. And when the grass is growing rapidly, if you do not apply enough nitrogen, then the grass will cease to grow rapidly. And yet, assuming that water is not limiting and it's going to have enough light, if the temperatures are high for cool, there's always enough light for cool season grass, basically, when we're not talking about growing grass under a tree or something. But um, if, if you've got plenty of light, plenty of water, and you starve the grass of nitrogen, that tends to lead to an unhealthy grass plant. Mm-hmm. And it, and for professionally managed turf, that's generally not what you want. And so, but the, just just to clarify one thing, because I realized you were saying putting in uh, lower nitrogen when the grass is not glowing, and I just said we put double the amount that the growth potential t- tells us to apply in, in in May. Mind you, it's still not a lot of nitrogen. <laughs> yeah, the entire month we're talking about maybe ten k of nitrogen, which is point yeah. Two. Pounds right, <clears throat> entire month. Yeah, and that's so uh, it's still low. We we apply more in July and August when the temperatures are higher. So mm-hmm. just so and, people don't get confused. Yeah, and uh, I think are you familiar with um, what Jason Haynes has called the turfgrass speedo or the yep. growth ratio, where he mm-hmm. measures the clipping volume and he compares the clipping volume to a growth potential adjusted clipping volume, like yeah, a, yeah. a predicted clipping volume. So if growth potential is one, he would expect to get two liters of clippings per 100 square meters or 20 mm-hmm. milliliters of clippings per square meter. If the growth potential is 0.5, then his standard amount of clipping that goes in the denominator, uh, if the growth potential was 50%, then that would be one liter of clippings per hundred square meters or 10 milliliters. And uh, so that's, that's a way to kind of track how things are. And there's something else that's a, a ratio that I call the Genki level, or if you want to not use Japanese slang, uh, that's, that's, that's a normal word. It means good or healthy. Um, but in the way that I'm using it, it's, it's slang. Um, yeah. But, you could also call it a growth level or something or GL. So in that case, um, I express that as the amount that we're pushing the grass. So it's, it's how much nitrogen I'm actually applying compared to the standard amount of nitrogen that I would apply if it's just a, just tracking exactly by growth potential. So what you're saying, what you're saying is if we're using the regular growth potential equation, you're, you're uh, applying a Genki level amount of nitrogen that is greater than one in the shoulder seasons as you're coming out of winter. Do you do it going into autumn also, or just no, coming no, out no. of winter? No, no, it's just in the in the uh, in the in the spring because we have there's more play in May than in September. So in September, when temperatures start dropping down again. Uh, it's fine for us to follow the sort of the uh, this line. I think it's. I mean, like I say, it's it's probably more to do with play and you know the nitrogen than necessarily. If if I had a plot of turf that I would have no traffic on, I would probably feel easy following the the growth potential. 
But just with okay. the amount of play that we get there during the cold temperature, we need to push that. So the Genki level will probably be like two, <laughs> something mm-hmm. like that, in, in May. And then June, we will probably be 1.23, something like that. And then so July, we go to one, two, 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 and follow through into the autumn. And that yeah. seems to be, after, after 10 years of using it, that seems to be working reasonably well. Obviously, use your eyes. <laughs> Don't get blinded by it it is a stress stress indicator as you said but it seems to it seems to work in our situation i'm not recommending that and i, I think of i think that the thing that you have to do is choose the suitable growth rate that you're trying to achieve at your site you mm-hmm. um because the in there's been various standard amounts of nitrogen that you plug into the equation um and and i think the standard amounts have historically been a little bit higher and then i keep lowering it down how i actually use it then i just sort of assume that everybody knows and i'm talking about turfgrass managers and i and i had this discussion with bill kreuzer uh, rather famously back in 2016 i think we had a bit of a twitter argument and people thought we were uh arguing with with each other because he said growth potential is kind of stupid because it's recommending too much nitrogen and i mean i i've forgotten what our exact exchange was but i said well i think i just assume that anybody that's a professional turf grass manager knows that if your grass is already growing fine or it's if it's growing too fast then it would be stupid to put more nitrogen so you have to cut back and Mm -hmm. so for me it's like it's self-adjusting that if your grass is growing too fast, you, you instantly realize, Oh, I'm, I've put too much nitrogen in my equation. So I'm going to mm-hmm. cut that back until I get the suitable nitrogen rate. And we very quickly resolved that. I made a trip to visit him in Nebraska and we, we, uh, we we're all happy about it now. But, um, I, what I've realized is some people continue to use it without making that adjustment. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm trying to ease into this so slowly, try to make it intuitive. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. when it does get to the part about like, choose your right nitrogen rate uh, carefully, mm-hmm. I just, I, I want people to understand, like just because there's a, a guide to using growth potential or a spreadsheet that you can download from the PaceTurf website that has a default starting value of uh, 30 grams sorry 30 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare or 40 kilograms of nitrogen per hectare as a monthly maximum it's number one that's meant as a maximum but actually that wouldn't even be enough if you're growing kentucky bluegrass for a uh or perennial ryegrass for an intensively uh Mm -hmm. managed football pitch so if if it's a football pitch i want to use like 60 or 70 or maybe even 80. um so the, the number, it's it's all meant to be adjusted how much the nitrogen rate is. But what, what the growth potential equation does really well, but what what it doesn't do is choose the nitrogen number for you. The, 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 the maximum nitrogen, either over the course of the year or per month or per week or whatever, you have to figure that out yourself. We can offer some guidance. Um, the guidance might be a little bit high for the way turf gets managed today um but um you have to choose the nitrogen rate but what the 
growth potential equation does extremely well is once it gets that input of the nitrogen rate, it then allocates it over the, the year or over, over whatever duration of time you're looking for. It allocates that really well based on the optimum temperatures for photosynthesis. So this has never been proven by any research, but it makes a lot of sense that allocating the nitrogen to the plant in that way should be the most efficient way to optimize photosynthesis, which would allow you to use less nitrogen because the nitrogen that you apply would be more, uh, mm -hmm. more efficient. So you, so you should get more uh, bang for your buck or more, more growth for every unit of nitrogen because it's applied in such an efficient way. That's, that's, all, that's the idea behind it. But, but where I see people go wrong is, is just like, they plug in the number and they don't adjust it and then their grass is growing too much and then they start getting thatch. And I'm like, why, why didn't you adjust it? I thought, I thought you knew you're supposed to adjust it down. So yeah. the thing, like I say, it's a good idea to, to create a spreadsheet or something where you can track it and spend a year going through a season and just looking at those numbers, not necessarily using it as a decision-making tool when you're sort of trying to get used to it and understanding what it means in your area play around a little bit with the numbers and just sort of figure it out. Because um, if you go blindly and, and start applying, then like you say, that's where you get some problems. But I think, I, like I said, I've been using it for 10 years now. I, I find it weird not looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, that's why I wanted to have you on the show uh, to talk with me about it because it's intuitive for you. It's intuitive uh, for me and uh, I hope that uh, if anybody hasn't tried it, I think it's an incredibly useful tool. We're just, uh -huh. we're kind of talking about it in terms of temperature and, and fertilizer or nitrogen and, mm -hmm. and growth, but it can also be used for things like if you want to do your core aerification at the time yeah. when you'll likely get the most rapid recovery, you can mm -hmm. look at growth potential mm -hmm. um, and you can see the growth potential windows where you, you you can expect to see the the most rapid growth and you can look at this use it as a tool to uh, argue it for your uh, course committees or whatever if, if you know if you think you need to uh, correlate it sometimes showing them a number that says look 100 percent right here we should do it right here and that sort of reinforces your argument a little bit yeah so, and you can you can use it for, uh, I know you don't really do overseeding, uh, but, uh, well, you actually, yeah, you interseed with, with uh, fescue, yeah. perhaps, or, or bent yeah. grass. Um, but Sometimes, yeah. For warm season turf, uh, the growth potential was actually developed originally as a tool to understand what the optimum seeding times might be or to understand when the overseed had gone wrong because you've got warm season grass and cool season grass and you really want to make sure that you're seeding at just the right time when you're doing a overseed in a place like palm springs or phoenix and then looking at the transition in the spring you want to look at when the warm season grass can grow because if if you are removing the cool season grass when the warm season grass isn't growing yet when the growth potential is not high enough that would not be useful so there's a there's just so so much utility that you can do and even i think uh yeah for me 
the clipping volume, clipping volume kind of takes the place of growth potential looking backwards. Looking forwards, I don't know what the clipping volume will be, but I can predict what the growth potential would be because we can use forecast temperatures or we can use historical normal temperatures to predict into the future what the growth potential will be. So I use it as a planning tool and then as an analysis tool looking backwards, I will implement or I will make use of some real measurements, something like clipping volume, um, looking at what was actually done, looking at how much fertilizer I actually applied, how much the grass actually grew, and maybe expressing that as a ratio together with the growth potential. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah I, I, the, the way I use it uh, quite a lot is like looking at my clipboard. If I see my clipboard trending downwards, but the greens look nice, you know, they're visually, you know, playing really nicely. And then I see the growth potential maybe jumping up a little bit. And sometimes when you look at your greens, you think, ah, I don't know, I need to feed them right now because I think they're going to be great. But when you see this trend line, I know, I know, Bernie, you got to have to go out there, hit it with just a tiny amount of nitrogen. You know, we usually apply about uh, 5K per hectare per application. And that's where I've learned from using the GP. Because in the past, I might have thought I'll be fine for the weekend. You come on Monday, dear Lord, <laughs> I got it yeah. wrong. <laughs> I, but yeah, now I, I, I start to trust the numbers and I'm like, okay, this is an indicator. I'm heading downwards. Temperature is actually going a little bit up. Let's hit them 5K. Come in next Monday. Beautiful. That's, so, uh, that's a tenth of a pound of nitrogen. Yeah. Uh, or uh, 0. 0. 0.5 grams. Yep. per per square meter. So, well, I'm I'm glad that you get such good use of the growth potential and I hope that this has been informative for some people and I think it sets it up uh, enough of us I mean, I've talked about it, I've talked with you about it where we're just trying to be very general about how it's used mm -hmm. um and maybe I'll do one more episode or maybe two more episodes sometime in the future talking about the maybe the actual application of like how how I would choose the the maximum nitrogen number and show some charts and stuff like that but yeah it's basically it's just <laughs> intuitive it's, it's it's something very simple um yeah. where it's just like yeah it's it's just a tool that it's easier it's easier to make these decisions of if you're going to add a little nitrogen or not, instead of mm -hmm. looking at, well, our temperature six, our temperature is eight degrees and the, it's forecast to be 10 degrees. It, it's not on a scale of zero to a hundred percent and growth potential by being on a scale of zero to a hundred percent, somehow that just transforms everything yep. to be extremely useful. So it's, mm -hmm. it's nothing magical. It's just taking our actual temperature data for our site and putting it in a scale that, that is, somehow remarkably useful so when larry stole and wendy galerter from pace turf came up with that it was uh it was a great insight mm -hmm. definitely cool well i'm done talking about growth potential if you have a little more time i'll ask you about the grasses at uh gmos yeah sounds bad doesn't it gmos <laughs> <laughs> so is it uh, green. <laughs> uh is it is it uh fescue poa yeah, Fescipoa. Um, it's um, well. It, this used to be a nine holer, then they extended it to eighteen. So the new newer greens are uh, 
started off as fescue, so obviously you have poa creeping into it. Um, but it's mostly fescue. The older greens are a mixture of poa, plants, you know, just a mixture of a lot of stuff. Um, so it'll be interesting for me to see how they, you know, behave. I have way larger greens now. They are, uh, they are, we have 1.2 hectares of turf uh, for greens. We're talking about this the 18 hole facility. The 18 hole facility, yeah. The smaller, the nine hole is, is a very short course where you have, you know, your holes are mostly sort of 300 yarders, par fours, you know, less than that. Uh, small greens, relatively small greens, and sees a less play, but still 25, 26,000 rounds. Uh, the big one sees 30, about 35,000 rounds over five months. So, uh, so that that averages 7,000 rounds on 18 um, holes per month. Yeah. Is that right? Months. Yeah. And uh, obviously, most of that play goes through sort of May, June, July, and early part of August. Uh, it's just the summer vacation time of Icelanders, so they play a lot of golf. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and and you will plan now. This this will be your first growing season uh, as the yeah. golf course manager there. So you mm. are you planning something like a uh, hundred kilograms of nitrogen per hectare, or about two yeah, pounds that's, of nitrogen that's, per thousand? Yeah, we sort of we've we've soil tested all the greens now. I managed to get some course in, uh, in the late part of the year. Um. And we're quite high on everything, um, so we'll just. Uh, I'm assuming you know, hundred k is is a good starting point. You make sure you make the order for your urea and ammonium sulfates. <laughs> they're they're in the house, and we'll see how much we have to use. Uh, but it's always coming to a new site. It's, you know, you have to get a bit of a feel for for things. Um, for example, when I was working at Kaylid Golf Club. Talking about growth potential at Kaler, uh, which has screens that are more similar to what we have here than I had at Ness, because Ness is more or less POA, POA greens. So at Ness, I, I, the greens had to be growing at about 1.5, 1. you know, close to two liters uh, per hundred. So that's that's 20, yeah, mm -hmm. 15 to 20. Uh, milliliters per uh, per square meter to, to be coping with traffic and all that. But at Kaler, that used to be closer to one or ten grams. So I'm assuming this will be more like running in them at one would be acceptable because of fescue greens and all that. When you just have poas, like <laughs> they're a different yeah, beast. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why Jason. For poa, he because he's got creeping bent grass mixed with poa annua in yeah. Canada uh, on the Sunshine Coast, and he's mentioned that if he gets closer to a daily average of about two liters per hundred square meters or twenty milliliters mm -hmm. uh, per square meter, when the growth potential is at an optimum, mm -hmm. then uh, if he's getting that type of growth rate then the POA annua does really, really well. But if yeah. he cuts that in half or cuts that down by, by a third, then all of a sudden the bent grass just starts creeping over the POA. And so mm -hmm. I think there's these type of tools are, are universally applicable, but you have to adjust them to your site. And yeah. 
I think, especially when you're dealing with mixed stands of different uh, species and you want to favor one species over the other, um, using tools like growth potential, clipping volume, being really precise with the amount of fertilizer that you're applying can allow you over time to just favor consist day by day, month by month, year by year, you'd favor one species over the other. And, mm -hmm. um, at, at least, at, at least in theory. Yeah. And I think it, it also, again, ease of mind for yourself, you know, having these, what I find is like having these numbers, it just makes your decision-making more, you know, direct if you know you know you feel better about your decisions <laughs> so and i really it, but it's going to be an interesting summer to see how how it is um how this course behaves does it do differently to other places i've been to so um looking forward to it i've got a really it's a bit of a mess right now behind us because we're redoing our uh, facility yeah, you know facilities here my office is technically speaking 140 square meters that's what is that? That's a 1500 square meters. That's square substantial. Feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good and, office space. And do you have, uh, are you going to the open championship or the Ryder cup or any, uh, any big travel events, uh, turf no, related not, this year? No, it's kind of hard for us to leave, um, in the summer months. It's just because we, uh, because we run very, on a very large number of, of seasonals, very few, uh, full timers. And, I get my time off in the winter months, but I have to sort of be here. And we're we're a busy place. This place is a really, really busy one. Got um, a lot of tournaments as well on, you know, junior, national junior events. Um, and then our local Pro-Am tour here in Iceland as well. Um, so we've got a busy schedule coming up, but it's, it's good fun. Iceland is love golf. <laughs> Good. Did you go to BTME or go to the GCSA conference or anything? Uh, this year? Not now. We 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 tend to go every other year. That's our how we usually do it. And we were we were at BTME last year. So plan is BTME twenty four, Orlando twenty six. So that's yeah, usually see how we it. Do it. By I, the way, this is for the people who are listening. If you are going to those and you are you're crossing the Atlantic, always remember we're right in the middle. You can always get dropped off here. <laughs> spend a few days here and, 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 and keep on going. Mind you, though, it's in a bit of a rough time of the year. You get stuck here for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and you would get stuck because the airport, because it's too windy or it's too icy? Yes, or? windy would Both? be the problem. Yeah, windy. Well, we usually could deal with the ice, but it's the wind that sometimes gets us. It's a windy place. Yeah. But a beautiful one. It's beautiful. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm sure that uh, if people see some of the photos of the golf courses, and I know there's been various um, golf digest, golf magazine type of spreads of, uh, and other videos of people who have gone to Iceland and so on, I, I think it becomes a little bit of a, well, people become aware that there's some pretty spectacular golf there. And I've been impressed with the turf. I'm just so impressed that in a, a five-month season with that many rounds that um, that the turf can be as good as it is. And I know you've you told me as long as it gets through the winter okay, it's usually going to yeah. be okay. But the problem is it's so cold in the spring. If you do have ice damage or winter damage, that's when it 
could be a problem. And I hope, uh, I hope this winter is a good one for the grass. It's been, it's been a really bad winter, but here's the key thing. We managed to get ice and that didn't like, uh, suffocate the grass and it melts off, you know, it maybe stays mm -hmm. for, for three weeks or whatever, and then goes away. And that's, that's the key. If we can keep that going, we'll be fine. Oh, so as long as it is, it doesn't stay for too long. Yeah. Is that, then yeah. it actually protects the turf. Um, our problem has been when we get into a lot of problems, that's actually when we have, um, dry winters, because if we have, what we call wet winters is usually southwesterly winds coming in with a storm like it is right now hence why it's five degrees it was mm -hmm. eight degrees the other day um that's good because it clears off the ice and then probably in three days we'll have more snow protecting it again mm -hmm. and that's good oh, when it's... it stays dry and it doesn't come the south wind you know southwesterly winds coming from the north it's negative you know minus and then it just stays forever and that kills a lot of grass. So. That's rough. All right. Well, <laughs> Bjarni, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today on the ATC Double Cut. And I, I would like to check in with you again um, before too long and maybe when the days start getting longer and the grass starts growing again. Let's see. Thanks. See Appreciate if we can, it. We can learn some more. So. Thanks everybody for watching, for listening, and I will be back again soon with some more interesting turf grass topics. For ATC from Yantikau, Thailand, I am Michael Woods. <laughs>